Happy New Year, everybody. It is great to see all of you uh, in 2023. So welcome to all of you in the room. Welcome to you guys who are watching online. You made it to church on uh, on uh, New Year's Day. So wonderful. So uh, it's exciting. It's good to see all of you guys. Uh, let me ask you, since it is New Year's Day, how many of you uh, stayed up last night till midnight watched the ball drop? Any of you guys? Yeah. How many of you stayed up till midnight watched Ohio State drop the ball? It's <laughs> good. It was a great game. You have to admit, it was a really great game. And it could have been better, but it was a really great game. How many of you were in bed by 10.30 last night? <laughs> okay, yeah, so none of you. This, that's, I figured it's the late service. That's all of you guys were up late last night. So it's, uh, it's great to be together. And I am excited, not just because uh, this weekend marks the beginning of a new year, uh, but it also marks the beginning for us as a church of a new series that we're going to be starting uh, this week and for the next few weeks that are going to be coming. And as you saw, uh, the series that we're going to be focusing on is actually uh, a continuation of a set of sermons that we actually started before Christmas. And so in a lot of ways, it is a new sermon series, and then in some ways, it's a little bit of a continuation of what we were doing before Christmas. So just to kind of recap a little bit of what we're doing and what we have been doing is in this series, we're going to be looking together again at the book of Acts. And like I mentioned, uh, the book of Acts is actually something that we began looking at a little bit before Christmas. So we spent a little bit of time doing that, and now we're coming back again, and we're going to continue looking at the book of Acts. And some of you might be asking, why are we spending so much time in the book of Acts? And so here's what we said. We said the reason that we're looking at the book of Acts is because the, the book of Acts is a really, really important and unique book in the Bible. And we said the book of Acts specifically is going to help us rediscover some really critical things about following Jesus. Namely, we said the book of Acts is going to help us rediscover three things. So the book of Acts is going to help us rediscover the message of Jesus. We said it's going to help us rediscover the mission of Jesus, and it's going to help us rediscover the method of Jesus. So we said when you go through the book of Acts, it's going to help us rediscover these things about what it means to follow Jesus and about what it means to live for Jesus in in this life. And so what we decided to do was we said that we want to take these three topics and we actually want to kind of part them out into three different sermon series. And so before Christmas, we actually uh, did two of these sermon series. So the first sermon series that we did, if you guys weren't here for this, um, it actually was the sermon series that was all about the message of Jesus. And we looked at the book of Acts and we spent a few weeks trying to answer this question. So this was the question that we were concerned with, was what was the original message that Jesus imparted to his followers to proclaim to the world? So that was a big question. We said, hey, what was, that, what was the original message that Jesus gave to his disciples, that he gave to his followers, and he commissioned them to tell the world? What was the message that turned the ancient world on its head? What was the message that catalyzed and catapulted a global movement that has spanned the whole globe and has even hit this space and time where we're at today? And then consequently, we also asked the question, for those of us who follow Jesus, which I know might not be all of us, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we said, is that message our message? Have we changed that message? Have we drifted from that message? Have we changed that message or edited it in any way? So we did that. Then the second series that we did following that was all about the mission of Jesus. And here was the question that we concerned ourselves with for a few weeks there, was we said, according to the book of Acts, what was the mission that Jesus entrusted to his followers to enact in the world? So we just said, what was the original mission that Jesus sent his, his, his disciples on in the first century in the book of Acts. And of course, we said we want to rediscover what that mission was. And that question that we were asking is, for those of us who follow Christ, are we on that same mission? 
Or have we drifted from it? Have we changed it in any way? Now, I just want to encourage you, by the way, that if you missed any of those previous series, you can always go back, you can listen to those, you can watch those on our website, on our app, on our podcast, all that's available for you. But this week and for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to start diving into this third part, and that is the method of Jesus. Here's the question that we want to concern ourselves with for the next weeks. What are the methods that Jesus desires or intends to use to accomplish his mission and to proclaim his message in today's world, right? So, so what are the means, what are the methods that Jesus desires to use to, to continue his mission and to spread his message in the world that we live in today? So that's what we're gonna think about for the next several weeks as we go again through the book of Acts. And so I wanna encourage you right now, if you got your Bibles, why don't you just open them with me again? We're gonna return back to the book of Acts, okay? So I would love to invite you just to turn to the first couple of chapters, Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, page 882 is where you're gonna find that in the Bibles that are under the chairs. So you can go ahead and meet me there. And let me just say that today, you guys, is gonna be a bit of an introduction week to the next weeks to come. So we're actually gonna look at several different passages in the book of Acts. We're gonna kind of jump around a little bit. But if you're looking for a place to anchor yourself in the Bible, you can just turn to Acts chapter one and two. Some of you guys have those Acts journals uh, from, from previously. You get that out, and uh, you might want to take notes in that as we kind of go through this, all right? Now, I just want to tell you, as you're finding the book of Acts, um, that I am particularly excited about this series that we're going to be in. Um, maybe even a little bit more excited about this series than I was in, than even the previous ones. And, and here's, here's why. The reason is because I believe that as we start to look at the book of Acts in this series, we're going to get a better understanding of our part of, for those of us who follow Jesus here today, what is our part? And my hope is, my hope is that as we go through the next few weeks, that we will add a tremendous amount of clarity and practicality as to how God desires and wants to use each one of us. And so my hope is that over the next few weeks, this will be very, very practical, that we'll be able to look at the book of Acts and then we'll be able to say, how does that apply to our lives today? And how can we take the things that we're learning in the book of Acts and how can we even enact those things in our life uh, as we kind of pursue that together? So I'm looking forward to that because over the next few weeks, that's what we're hoping to do. However, um, today, what I wanna do is I wanna kind of pave the way for the weeks to come. And so before we start talking about how do we apply the book of Acts into our life, I wanna say that there is a really critical question that you first have to ask. And this is true whenever you read the Bible, anywhere, but it's especially true when you read the book of Acts. There is a critically important question that you have to ask when you're trying to uh, apply the Bible to your life, okay? And so I, this is such an important question that I actually wanna spend the rest of the time that we have today hopefully adding clarity to this one question. All right, so what is the question? All right, let me put it to you this way. Here is the question that you have to ask. You have to ask whenever you're reading the Bible, but specifically in the book of Acts, is what I'm reading descriptive or is what I'm reading prescriptive? Right, this is a very, very important question. And so what does that mean? Well, I think it, it makes sense what it means, but here's just some further clarity. Descriptive would be describing something that has happened Prescriptive is prescribing something that should happen, that should happen. So this is a really important question that you should ask whenever you're reading the Bible, and especially when reading the book of Acts, is what I'm reading simply describing to me something that happened, something that took place, or is it actually prescribing something that I should do or something that we should pursue in our lives today? 
or if I could ask the, the same question, I'll ask the same question in a different way, just, just for clarity's sake. The, the other, the way, the, another way you could ask this question is, what, what I'm reading, is it unique or is it normative? So in other words, is what I'm reading, is this something that occurred in the past but shouldn't be expected to be pursued again? Or is what I'm reading something that is characteristic of the normal Christian life? Is what I'm reading something that should be pursued and even expected today? Does that make sense? This is a really, really important question that you have to ask whenever you're reading the Bible. And I wanna tell you this, that even though it might seem like a very simple question and it might seem like a very easy question at face value, if you start to read through the book of Acts, you're gonna realize this question is actually a lot more complicated than you might think. It's a little bit more complex. Some of you have actually probably felt this. If you've been reading the book of Acts with us, you've probably experienced this. So let me just give you a, a couple examples of why this can be a complicated question. All right, so there are times when you read the book of Acts that we would probably read it and we'd look at the passage and we would say, wow, look at what happened here. That's incredible. We should do that too. So there's gonna be times in the book of Acts where you read about things that are happening or you read a description of something that happened and we would say, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. We should probably try to do that too. We should, that, that is something that we, we should try to pursue Right? That is something that, that, we sh that should happen in our lives. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, one would be uh, baptism. Baptism would be a great example of this. Some of you might remember, if you were here a couple months ago, we actually did a sermon. We were going through the book of Acts, and we said, um, in the book of Acts, you're going to see different responses to the message of the gospel. And we talked about the different responses. And we said, however, what you're going to notice is that when, whenever someone puts their faith in Jesus and they choose to follow him and accept the gospel, that their response to that decision is that they get baptized in water. And we said this happens over and over again in the book of Acts about a dozen times. You're gonna see people respond to the message of the gospel and they get baptized. And so what did we say? Well, here's what we said. We said, well, because we see this happening in the book of Acts, we should do that too. And so if any of you have responded to the gospel, what, what should you do? You should be baptized. You should get up and you should be baptized in water. And many of you did. In fact, that weekend, 41 people from our church got up and got baptized right here on the stage. It was an awesome weekend that we had together. So, so what I'm saying is we looked at that and we said, here's the book of Acts. that says you should believe and get baptized. So what should we do? We should also believe and we should also get baptized. Makes sense. All right. However, now here's where it gets more complicated. There's other passages in the book of Acts that I don't think any of us would look at and say, we should totally do that. I think there's, some, there's passages in the book of Acts that we might read and we'd be like, I, I don't think we should do that at all. So I, I'll just give you a couple examples of this. One would be right there in Acts chapter one. So you guys have your Bibles in front of you. I want you to look with me at verse 23, all right? So let me explain a little bit of what's going on uh, in this passage. So um, you might remember Jesus had 12 disciples that, were, uh, that became his 12 apostles. One of them betrayed him as Judas, and then he ended his own life and afterwards, in the book of Acts, it's going to tell us that the, they were trying to find a replacement for Judas, okay? So how did they make that decision? Here's what it says. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, guy had a lot of names, and then Matthias, and then they prayed. They said, Lord, thank you. You know everyone's, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Uh, show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs, and then, now notice this, they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, and so he was the one who was added to the 11 apostles. All right, so here, here's an interesting thing. Here, see what's happening here. They're trying to find a replacement for Judas, so what do they do? They select two guys, 
And the reason they select them is on a specific criteria. And after they select these two guys, they pray about it. And then what do they do? They cast lots. Now, if you're not familiar with what casting lots is, casting lots is a little bit like, not totally like, it's a little bit like rolling dice is what it's like. So here's the question we're left with. Is this just describing to us how they made this decision? Or is this prescribing to us how we should make every decision? What is it doing? So is this, is this how we should make leadership decisions at church? Should we make, let's pray about it, let's draw straws, whoever gets the short straw gets to be a life group leader. Like, is that how we, is that how we do things? Well, no, I think we would say, well, no, 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 that's not what we're supposed to do. Yeah, but how do you know? How do you know what's descriptive and prescriptive? I'll give you another example. There's this really crazy place in Acts 19. You don't need to flip there, I'll just put it on the screen. But there's something amazing that happens in Acts chapter 19. It's totally wild. So, so look at this. In Acts 19, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. This is a totally wild scene. So the Bible's gonna say that Paul is in this place called Ephesus and he's actually healing people. And the Bible says that God is working so mightily through him that even when he touches a handkerchief, People who touch that handkerchief are healed. Now, that's wild. I've never seen anything like that happen in my life, but here's the question that we're left with. Is that simply describing something to us that uniquely happened at one time? Or is that actually telling us something that should be normative? Is that actually saying, you can actually expect that God would do the same thing today. God can still work in that way, and you should actually expect him to, and you should even pursue it if you could. That's the question. Like, should we start giving out like Pastor Seth healing hankies at the Welcome Center? Like, is that something? Pastor Seth healing hankies? I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I spent, I'm gonna have to admit to you, I spent way more time than I care to admit creating this slide. So let's just appreciate it for a minute, all right? But we, we all laugh at that. Why? Because we're like, well, of course we shouldn't do that. That's not, that's not something that's prescribed to us. It's just telling us something that happened. Or I'll just give you one more on a more serious note. In Acts chapter two, the Bible's gonna say 3,000 people responded to the message of Jesus. And what was the result? The Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they started to speak in tongues. They started to speak in tongues so they could understand each other. So here's the question. Is that something that is prescriptive or descriptive? Is that something that we should expect or pursue? And does that mean that if you haven't spoken in tongues, well, then you must not have received the Holy Spirit? Well, there'd be some people who would say that that's the case. There'd be some people who would say that that's true. So I, I think maybe you're starting to see, maybe you're starting to understand why this is actually a really, really important question. Whenever you're reading the book of Acts or any book of the Bible, why it's important that you ask this question. In fact, I don't know if you guys know this, but so many, a lot, if not most, of the dividing issues that have led to the different denominations that we see in our churches today, you guys know all the different denominations in our churches today, most of those differences stem from differences of interpretation from things that come up from the book of Acts. So I'll just give you a small list. Things like the mode of baptism. How should a person be baptized? At what age should they be baptized? Things like church polity, like how a church organizes itself. Things like frequency in which we should take communion. Things like speaking in tongues, like we just talked about. Even things like ritual snake handling. And the list could go on. These things have been supported in whole or in part because of how people have understood the book of Acts. 
So I think you're starting to see why this is such an important question. And so the question that we want to deal with is, for the next few weeks, what we're going to try to do is we're going to say, here's the book of Acts, so how do we apply that to our life? Well, I think it's important that we first try to add some clarity to this question. Well, how do we know what is prescriptive and how do we know what is descriptive? What is unique and what is normative? So what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have today is I actually hope, I want to hope to give you some tools that would be helpful for you anytime you read the Bible, but specifically when you read the book of Acts. So what I want to give you is four interpretive tips, four tips that will help you interpret and understand what you're reading when you're reading the book of Acts. Now, I want to encourage you, some of you guys are note takers, and I really want to encourage you to take notes because this might be something you want to refer back to. And even if you're not a note taker, it might be worth your while to take notes because these are interpretive tips that I'm hoping I could put in your hands that will be helpful anytime you read the Bible. Even if you're new to the Bible, I'm just telling you this is going to be very, very helpful to you. Okay, so four tips. Here's interpretive tip number one. Interpretive tip number one is this, is you need to examine the immediate context. Whenever you're reading the book of Acts or whenever you're reading any passage of the Bible, the first place you want to start is by reading the immediate context. Now, you guys, this is not rocket science. This is so easy. This is so easy and anybody can do it. You need to start by reading the immediate context. Here is the question that you want to ask. You want to ask the question, what comes directly before and what comes directly after this passage? So what is the surrounding text that's around the passage that I'm reading? And you guys, as easy as this one is, it's so simple. I just want to tell you, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes the parts of the Bible that are really confusing to you, a lot of that can, you can be clarified just by reading the surrounding context. So much starts to make sense when you read the Bible within its context. So uh, let me just give you a, I'll just give you a very uh, practical example of how to use this tip right from the book of Acts. Okay, so uh, you guys got your Bibles? Go to Acts 4. Just flip a couple pages over to Acts chapter 4. And I want to show you um, a, this is actually a picture that the Bible gives us of what the early Christians in the first century, what their community looked like. So it's giving us a window into what did, what did it look like to be a follower of Jesus in the first century, all right? Now, here's, here's the description. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses would sell them and they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. In fact, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the feet of the apostles. Okay, so there's a lot going on here, but do you see what's happening? The Bible says that this is a community that's marked by incredible generosity, such that the Bible says there was no, there was no needy person among them. And what was happening? People were selling houses, people were selling possessions, people were selling land, and then they were taking the proceeds from, from those sales, and they were putting them at the feet of the apostles, which was the, the leaders of the church, and they were, distributing, they were distributing the money, and they were distributing the things to the people who had needs, all right? Now, watch what happens next. In the very next verse, so in chapter 5, verse 1, now there's a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, who also sold a piece of property. So just like everyone else, they sold their property too. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. And what's Peter's response? Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Now, at first glance, 
some people might be tempted to read this and say, now what is being, what is being prescribed to us? And some people would say, well, what this passage is saying is it's basically promoting kind of a form of religious communism, that Christians uh, shouldn't own possessions, shouldn't own things, but we should have a shared sense of community where what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine and nobody owns anything. And, and actually, some people have used this very passage to promote communism. They said, yeah, that, this, is, this is the biblical reasoning for that. Now, this is, this is where you need interpretive tip number one. Because if you just remember to read the passage within its context, if you just read a few verses around this, pretty quickly you'll start to gain some clarity on what's actually going on here. So let me just show you. In verse four, here's what he goes on to say. Peter says to Ananias, didn't it, your land, belong to you? It was yours before it was sold. And after it was sold, the money was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted with, with your money. It's your money. He says, but what made you think that you need to lie to us about this. And you're not just lying to us, but you're lying to God. So I think all of a sudden it becomes clear to you what this passage is not doing is it's, it's, it's not endorsing a sense of which Christians can't own anything or, or we don't have anything, possessions that are, that are our own or whatever. What that does is it keeps us from demanding or coercing Christians to live in some form of communism or forced generosity. That's what it does. And all of that is made clear if you just read it in its context. You guys, I think it's just worth saying on this point, something that we, we say a lot here at the Medina campus, you guys have probably heard us say this, we have to be very, very, very careful that we always try to read the Bible within its context. Uh, we have to be very careful not to take verses or passages of scripture and just pull them out of the Bible and just apply them freely how we want to. Because listen, the truth is you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you take it out of its context, you can um, I'll give you a really stupid example of this. Um, did you guys ever hear this one? Uh, did you guys ever hear that Jesus had a car? Did you ever hear this? So Jesus had a car, but you probably didn't know that because he didn't talk about it very often because the Bible tells us that. Here's what it says in John 12. It says, Jesus said, I did not speak of my own accord. So there you have it. It's, it's awful. It's a terrible, terrible joke. But it makes the point, right? You can make the Bible say whatever you want to make it say if you just rip things out of context. Sometimes it's comical like this. Often it's tragic. Sometimes it's abusive. We gotta be very, very careful to make sure we're reading the Bible in its context, which leads to interpretive number two. Interpretive tip number two is very similar, and that's this, that you have to discover the book context. So yes, you wanna read the immediate context, what comes before and after this passage, but you also wanna zoom back a little further, and you also wanna get an idea of what is the book context. Now here's the big question you wanna ask with interpretive tip number two. What was the original author's intent? And this is a critical question. Listen, before we ever ask the question, what does this passage mean to me? Before you ever ask the question, what does this verse mean for me or mean for us? You first always have to ask the question, what did this mean to them? What did the author mean when he wrote this? That is really critical. It's important that you remember this, you guys. The book of Acts and every book of the Bible. But the book of Acts was not written to you. It was written for you. It was written for me, for sure. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God has preserved these books for our benefit, for our growth. I believe that it's his word. 
but it wasn't written to you, it was written for you. And that means that there was an original audience, and that means there was an original author, and they had an intention, and why they were writing what it was that they were writing. So the first question we need to be concerned with is, what did the author intend? And then once we discover that, then we can start to bridge the gap and say, so what should that mean for us today? All right, so the question you wanna ask then is, what was, what was, what was, the, what was the author of Acts? What was, what was his original intent? What was the author's uh, original intent in the book of Acts? Well, if you wanna discover this, I just wanna tell you, there's some great places you can go. Some of you guys have study Bibles. Study Bibles are really helpful because oftentimes they'll give you an introduction and they'll tell you the author and the occasion and the date and they'll tell you all that kind of stuff, which is really helpful. But I'll be honest, I think one of the places to go to look for uh, the author's intent is look at the book itself. A lot of times, if you just read the opening chapters and closing chapters of a book of the Bible, you're gonna start to see pretty clearly what the author's intentions were. So let's look at Acts. I'll just give you an example. Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Some of you might remember this because we've, we read this in previous weeks, but here's how it starts. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. That's how Acts 1 starts. Now, that doesn't tell us a ton, but if you actually stop and think about it for a little bit, it actually tells us a lot. So what do, what do we learn just from the first verse in the book of Acts? Well, here's what we learn. We learn who it was written to. So who was it written to? It's written to this guy named Theophilus. Okay, well, we don't, what do we know about him? Well, we don't know a lot yet, but we know that he was the original hearer. He was the recipient of this letter. What else do we know? Well, interesting, if you notice this, he says, in my former book. The author says, in my, which means what? Apparently, Acts is part two. Apparently, Acts is the second volume of something. Now, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you guys know this already, right? The author of Acts, we've discovered, is a guy named Luke. And he also write, uh, he wrote another book before this, which was called The Gospel of, can you guess, can you guess? Luke, right? He wrote Luke. And, and, uh, and if you look at the beginning of Luke, so if this is volume two, what was volume one all about? Well, if you go back to the first chapter, look at how helpful this is. Here's what he says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, there it is again, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. You guys, this is so helpful to us. The author himself is telling us, this is why I wrote Luke, and consequently, this is why I wrote Acts. Why? I'm writing to you, Theophilus, to give you an orderly account of the things that happened so that you can be certain of the faith that you have, the things that you've been taught. In other words, what's he telling us? Here's what Luke is saying. Luke and Acts are, ready for it, primarily descriptive. He says, I am describing to you something that happened. I'm trying to, I want to give you an orderly account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And so, so because of that, I think this is really helpful. If we're just listening to the author, if we're just taking his intent, I think we would say that the starting place of reading the book of Acts is that we should start by presuming that what we are reading is descriptive. I think we need to start there. It gets a starting place. I love the way one uh, commentary puts it. It's a really phenomenal book. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I just wanna say, if you guys are, are serious about studying your Bible, this is a good ad to have on your library shelf. It's a, it's a, good, it, it's a great overview of a lot of things in the Bible uh, by uh, Gordon, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. And here's what they say about the book of Acts. They say, our assumption, shared by many others, is this. Unless scripture explicitly tells us 
that we should do something. What is only narrated or described does not function in a normative or an obligatory way, unless it can be demonstrated on other grounds that the author intended it to function in this way. Now, I don't know if you're tracking with what they're saying, but here's basically what they're saying. If I could put it in my own words, I think they're saying this. When you read the book of Acts, our mindset shouldn't be, I am going to assume that I should mimic everything that I see unless I am told otherwise. I think our mindset should be this. I think our mindset should be, I am going to assume this is describing something to me unless I'm told otherwise. I think that's the way we need to approach the book of Acts. So you're saying, what you're saying is that the book of Acts is primarily descriptive. Yes, I think that is what Luke, the author, is telling us. So I'd be saying, okay, if that's the case, then why read any of Acts? If Acts is just telling us about something that happened, but it has no bearing on our life today, why would we read it at all? Is there anything about Acts that's prescriptive? So you guys, this is where interpretive tip number three comes in. So here's number three, and this one's very, very important as well. And that is this, you have to look to other parts of the Bible to know how to interpret and apply the Bible. So you have to look to other parts of the Bible to understand how to apply and how to interpret the Bible. You guys maybe have heard the old axiom, let scripture interpret scripture. And I think there's a lot of validity to that statement. Here's the question that you wanna be concerned with. Are there prescriptive passages elsewhere in the Bible that clarify and support descriptive passages that we see in places like the book of Acts? Does that make sense? So, so when you're reading the book of Acts and you see something that's being described, one of the best places that you can go to validate whether or not this is something that we should do is go to the rest of the Bible. Go to the rest of the New Testament and see if that same attitude or behavior or pattern is validated or harmonizes with what you see in other places in Scripture. So I'll just give you one very, very simple example of this. We just talked about Acts 4. Acts 4, people are selling stuff. They're taking the proceeds. They're putting it at the apostles' feet. There's no needy person among them. And what we just said is that that is a description of what the early Christian life was like. So here's the question. If it's just a description, does that mean that we shouldn't do that too? Does that mean that we shouldn't pursue that in our lives? Well, here's what I would say. I think, um, I think no. I think that Acts is actually very instructive to us. Now, why would I say that? Well, here's why. Because if you look at the rest of the New Testament, it is going to reinforce and it is going to add clarity and it's going to say, yes, you should pursue a heart of generosity. So I'll give you one example. First John chapter three, later in the New Testament, says this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now look at this. So we ought to, we ought to. Now what is that? That's prescriptive. You ought to do this. You ought to lay down your lives for your brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and you see a brother or sister in need and have no pity for them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us. What is that? That's prescriptive. We should do this. This is something we should do. Let us not love with words and speech, but also with actions and in truth. And so you're gonna see that the heartbeat that you see in Acts is reinforced and is prescribed in other places in the New Testament. The same is true with baptism. We talked about how in the book of Acts, baptism is a pattern that you see in the early Christians. It is a pattern that continues throughout the New Testament. It is prescribed by New Testament authors. And so because of that, the, 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 the prescriptive passages help us understand how to interpret the descriptive passages. All right, so those are the first three interpretive tips, but there's one more, and this is the last one, 
But I just want to tell you, this one is so critical that it can't be missed. If you miss this last one, I think quite honestly, it can lead to a whole bunch of confusion whenever you're reading the Bible. And here's the last one. Interpretive number four is that you have to locate yourself within the big story of the Bible. Whenever you're reading Acts or whenever you're reading any book of the Bible for that matter, the question you want to ask is where does this fit? Where does this passage, where does this part of the Bible fit? And the overall story of the gospel, the overall story that God is telling through scripture, that is the question that you want to ask. Now, like I said, you guys, this is such an important question that you have to ask when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, and it can lead to a whole bunch of confusion if you don't ask this question. So let me see if I can give you an example of why this is so important. I'm going to ask you a question real quick, and I promise it's not a trick question, but the Ten Commandments, I think about that with me for a minute. My guess is most of us are somewhat familiar with the Ten Commandments. They're in the Old Testament uh, in actually a few different places, but the first place you see it is Exodus chapter 20, Ten Commandments. So here's the question. The Ten Commandments, are those prescriptive or are those descriptive? Are they prescriptive or are they descriptive? Don't answer out loud. But I'm curious how you would answer that question. Is it prescribing to us commandments that we should pursue in our life? Or is it describing to us a set of commandments that God gave to his people, the Israelites, in the book of Exodus? Which one is it? That's a tricky question, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I think most of us would immediately say, well, it's, it's prescriptive. It, I mean, it's got to be prescriptive because, I mean, that's the definition of prescriptive. God is commanding us to do something. It says, thou shalt. Like, that's a prescription if there ever was one. Okay, but here's the tricky thing. In Exodus chapter 20, you see the Ten Commandments, but do you know what comes right after Exodus chapter 20, right after the Ten Commandments? A bunch of other commandments. Like if you read the immediate context, it goes on and it gives a bunch of other commandments. In Exodus 21, in Exodus 22, in Exodus 23, commandments, 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 and most of which we totally ignore. Quite honestly, a lot of them are just weird and we don't know what to do with them. There's a bunch of weird commandments. I'll just give you a couple of them that are in there. Here's one of them in Exodus 23. Three times a year, you are to celebrate a festival to me. Then God says, here's the three festivals I want you to celebrate, none of which any of us celebrate today at all. So, so that's a little confusing. Or what about this one? Exodus 23, 19. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Anyone struggling with that this week? Anyone having a hard time? That It's weird. It's a weird commandment. So why is it that we would fight to keep the Ten Commandments in public places, and yet there's other commandments that we just totally ignore or don't even pay attention to? There's a bunch of dietary restrictions and weird things about the kind of clothing that you wear, and we just disregard those, all th those things altogether. That's confusing. And so this is where you need interpretive tip number four, because you have to locate yourself in the big story of the Bible. You have to ask, where does what I'm reading fit into the overall picture of the story that the Bible is telling us. You guys, I love the way the guys at the Bible Project say it. If you guys are not familiar with the Bible Project, it's a wonderful resource. I would really encourage you to check it out. But this is what they say, and I think it's so helpful. The Bible is one unified story that all points to Jesus. The Bible that we read is one unified story. Now, listen, the Bible that you hold, the Bible that is on your phone, is 66 books, 66 manuscripts, that were written over the course of a 1,000 years by over 40 authors on three different continents. But make, make no mistake, the Bible is not simply a compilation of a bunch of little stories. The Bible is actually telling one big story, one unified story that all points to Jesus. 
This is why in Luke 24, 27, maybe one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most important verses in the whole Bible, it says this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which by the way, that's the Old Testament, Jesus explained to his disciples what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. See, Jesus said this whole thing is telling one story, one redemptive plan. We call that the gospel, the gospel. And it's all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. And so whenever you're reading scripture, you have to ask the question, what, what I'm reading right now, where does it fit into the overall story that God is, you guys, it is really important that we remember this. The gospel is not, listen, it's not, it's not a philosophy. It's not an idea. It is something that needed to be accomplished in history. The gospel is a story that was accomplished in human history. And so because of that, we have to be able to distinguish between something that I call pivotal moments and patterns of living. Pivotal moments and patterns of living. Now, you guys, I want you just to, to track with me for just a second, because I think this is really critical to understand this. Pivotal moments and patterns. Now, what is that? So here's what a pivotal moment is. A pivotal moment is an event or a moment that it illustrates a dramatic shift or movement in God's plan for human history. So a pivotal moment is a moment or an event that happens in God's story that marks a shift in the story of God, okay? And then what is a pattern of living? It is a normal mindset, attitude, or motivation that is to be lived out in light of a pivotal moment. Now, that might sound confusing, so let me give you an illustration to see if I can make it clear. I think that the easiest illustration is to think about your own life. My guess is every single one of us would look and say that there have been pivotal moments, pivotal events that took place in our life that absolutely transformed our pattern of living. There was a way you were living before, then this event happened, and it happened once, and it only needed to happen once, and after that, your life was radically different. So the best example I could come up with, probably the easiest one for my life, would be, would be my wedding day. When I think about my wedding day, it was a pivotal moment. It was a unique, one-time celebration experience. Only happened once, only needed to happen once, but it absolutely transformed my pattern of living. There was a way I lived before I was married, and then there was a day that I got married, and there was a new pattern of life after that. Now, here's the thing. My everyday life in my marriage, my, my daily life in my marriage doesn't look like my wedding day. Right? That would be weird. If, my, if every day of my life looked like my wedding day, my wife wore her gown and we ate cake and we had a big party, we celebrated, that'd be weird. We don't need to do that. Why? Because it happened already. But listen, our wedding day is a, for us, it's a point of reference. We celebrate it. We look back at it. We remember it. We reenact, we reenact it in a daily way. We go back and say, man, that day was a pivotal moment for us. Now, if you guys can get your mind around that, I want you to understand that in God's story, God's redemptive story. There are pivotal moments that happen that change the pattern of living for God's people. I'll give you one of them. The Exodus. Some of you guys know about this. The Exodus, God's people, the Israelites were in captivity. God miraculously delivered them. He parted the Red Sea. They went through the Red Sea and they were liberated and they were freed. Now the question is, when is that gonna happen again? It's not, it's not gonna, it happened once. That's all that happened. And so throughout the Old Testament, what are the prophets gonna tell God's people? They're gonna say, remember that. Remember what happened. You need to celebrate that. You need to, there's a new pattern of life that you should live out in light of the liberation that you experienced at the Exodus. You should live in light of the freedom that is yours. You should remember the faithfulness of God that was displayed to you at the Exodus. This is a pattern of life 
that flows from a pivotal moment. I'll give you another one. You guys, the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ was a pivotal moment in human history. Our redemption was purchased for those of us who put faith in Jesus Christ. It was a pivotal moment on the grandest scale. None of us are asking, when is Jesus going to be crucified again? It doesn't need to happen again. It's happened once. But now, what are all the New Testament authors saying? They're saying, now remember that. You need to remember that, and there's a new pattern of living that is available to you in reference to the cross. Because the resurrection is the same. We're not asking, when is Jesus going to rise from the dead again? Right? It's probably physically impossible for him to rise from the dead again. But, but what's the whole point? We now live in a new reality, and there's a pattern of life that comes with it. Now, you guys, this, if you can get your mind around that, I want you to know that this is so important when you read the book of Acts. Why is that? Because the book of Acts contains pivotal moments. Acts chapter two is a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal moment that was prophesied about in, the, in Joel. It was something that they anticipated in the Old Testament. It was a pivotal moment. It was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the, the church of Jesus Christ. So we don't need to ask, when is that gonna happen again? It's not, it's happened. We live in light now. There's a different pattern of living that is available to us because of that. Acts 10 is the same way. Some of you might remember this. What happens in Acts 10? The gospel goes from the Jewish people out to the Gentiles. Now it becomes global. Uh, God shows up to Peter and he says, all of those Old Testament laws and restrictions are lifted. Why? So the gospel can go to the Gentiles. And we're not expecting that to happen again. It's already happened. But now we live in light of that. Now, let me tell you guys, listen, why this is so relevant to you and why this is so relevant to me, why this matters so much to us in the room. Here's why. Because the pivotal moments that we see in the book of Acts define our pattern of living today. The things that we see in the book of Acts are different than the things that we see in the book of Exodus. Why? Because Acts helps us orient us to our part. What is our part of the story? If I could give you a very simple illustration, maybe I'd just say it this way. I want you to imagine that we were all were, were actors. We played a very small role in a play, all right? And so in the middle of the play, we all had a small role to play. Well, in order for you to faithfully play the part that you are called to play in that play, you have to do two things. You have to understand what happened before you got on the stage. And then you have to understand what happens after you got there. You have to know the big story so that you can faithfully play your part in the play. And if you guys can think about it that way, I think it's the same when we read the scripture. It's important that we understand the big story so that we know which part we're in and we know which part we play. You guys, you and I today in 21st century America, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, we live in light of the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That is a reference point for us. That wasn't true for the people in the Old Testament. For the people in the Old Testament, that was something they were anticipating. They were in a different part of the story. You guys, you and I today in 21st century America, we live in light of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. That was not true of people 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, they were living in anticipation of those things. You guys, we are living in a moment right now where we are anticipating Jesus coming back again. The Bible is gonna tell us that Jesus will return. He will come back again. He hasn't yet. And so we have this little piece that we play, this little part in the story, and we have to orient ourselves to that part so we know how to faithfully live for God today in the time and place that we live in. And you guys, that is why it's so important that we understand the book of Acts. And that is what we're hoping to do for the next five weeks. So for the next five weeks, we're gonna say, what does it look like for us 
to faithfully live out the part that God has put us in, in his great story. So I'm excited, guys. I am pumped about where we're gonna go in the next five weeks. Like I said, my hope is that we'll get a lot of practicality and a lot of clarity on those things, but we have to first start by asking this bigger question. What is prescriptive and what is descriptive? Why don't you guys pray with me and the band's gonna come up and then we'll worship together and, um, and we'll go from there. So Father, we just wanna say thank you. Thank you for, man, just the, the gospel, the, this, this big story of your redemption through human history. And God, thank you that you have went to great lengths to preserve for us the Bible, the Bible which tells us and orients us to the great story of redemption that you have set into human history. So Father, I pray over the next few weeks as we get a chance to dig into the book of Acts, I pray that you would help us, Lord, help us know what it looks like to faithfully live our part of the story. For those of us who follow you right here, right now, it blows my mind to think that the God of the universe wants to use us Wants to, wants to work in us and wants to work through us for the purposes of, of, uh, of you in the world around us. And so God, as we uh, enter into 2023 and as we anticipate a year to come, I pray that for, for those of us who follow you, Jesus, it would, be a year, it would be a year of surrender, a year that we are open to whatever it is you wanna do in our life to follow you and to be used by you. Help us to do that together. Help us do that as a community. We pray this in Jesus' name.